Welcome to the Inspiring You Show, where we shine a light on healing, whole health in our lives. We believe that in healing your story, you can transform your life. We are here to provide hope, tips, tools, resources, and a community so no one feels alone in this journey called life. I'm Henry, an intuitive empath, mindfulness meditation teacher, dowsing and Reiki master teacher, and energy healer. This, my friends, is a vibrational experience, a remembering of the truth of who we are. The content is light encoded to assist you on your journey if you wish to receive for your highest good. Welcome to the show, everyone. Okay, so today we're going to talk about neural pathways. That is right, my friends. In your human, there can be conditioning, patterning, programming, which some of it can be beneficial, some of it may be non-beneficial. And there are many different tools to support the human. So I like to use energy healing in terms of clearing non-beneficial programming to allow the light to come in to shift upwards to allow a new possibility. That is my preferred method and I find uh, for me I'm always looking for something that is fast and efficient and that is recognizable in my own experience as a tangible aspect of a feeling of a shifting and a change and for me when I feel like I'm caught in dense stuck energies and then I do energy healing and all of a sudden I feel wow I just went from feeling maybe in some sort of, I don't know, it could be fear or sadness. And then I bring recognition, realization to the process that I'm moving through. And once I do that, I then bring in the energy healing to clear the dense energies so they're not getting stuck in my system, which then allows the light to come in. And I then feel lighter and I always bring in the intention to call in peace and harmony and groundedness for my highest good. And I, I just feel like I'm more of in a sustained aspect of peace. And it just feels really good to me. That is my, my preferred way. And everyone is different. And there's all kinds of different tools that can support you. I will say, though, you know, from my own human, understanding what is happening and then how to use the tools can also be really helpful to the experience. And that's where, you know, mindfulness comes in. You can change your brain. In fact, scientists have proven that your brain is being shaped, molded, and changed by your experience every day. This is referred to as neuroplasticity. So just as a plastic water bottle becomes pliable when heated, your brain is being influenced and shaped by what is happening in your life. This single scientific breakthrough has significantly altered our understanding of how to change habits, increase happiness, improve health, and even change our genetics. So neuroplasticity has evolved as the study of the plastic and malleable nature of the brain. Rewiring your brain is a dynamic process that happens within the relationship of your mind, brain, and body. They are intricately interconnected as a sophisticated system to ensure your survival and homeostasis. 
That being said, though, I say, it, you know, survival. We're also shifting from survival to thriving. So we, we, that's where energy healing comes in, where we can clear survival programming and mechanisms that may have been handed down from our ancestors or from the collective that's affecting the individual. So what happens to one of these systems has a direct impact on the others. So what does this mean for you? My friends, you can utilize your mind, your mental body to support changing your brain, which then allows you to increase your ability then to be in the energy of happiness. Because happiness, joy, peace, they're all vibrational energy frequencies. And when you use your mind, your mental body, and let yourself then release from non-beneficial stories or negative, if you're caught in any kind of negative story, ruminating, when you use your mental body to release from that and let yourself go into groundedness and the energy of peace, you then can set an intention for what you want to call in. And then from there, you can call in the energy of happiness, joy, which is then shifting you to a higher vibrational frequency because sadness, frustration, they're low vibrational frequencies. And happiness, joy, peace are higher vibrational frequencies. And so you can use your mental body to support you in the shifting is just about bringing awareness to where you are in your experience or bringing that mindfulness. So Thich Nhat Han, who was dubbed the father of mindfulness by Time Magazine, he's also Zen, he was a Zen master, a Buddhist monk. In his book, How to Focus, he shared there are many neural pathways that can lead to suffering or happiness. You may travel on some of them frequently and they've become a habit, always leading you to react in the same way. For example, when you're in touch with a certain thing, perhaps a memory or an object, it may always take you down a pathway that leads to anger and hate. With the practice of mindfulness, concentration, and insight, you can choose instead to focus on something wholesome that leads you to a feeling of happiness. Or when a situation arises that allows that, or when a situation arises that always leads you to react in a way that brings suffering. You, if you can bring in mindfulness you can choose to respond in a way that contains more clarity and understanding. In doing this a few times, you begin to open up a new neural pathway that leads to happiness and reconciliation. And suppose someone says, he goes on to say, suppose someone says something that angers you and your habit is to say something back to punish them. Even if you know it won't help, Mindfulness can help you to not respond too quickly. You can say to yourself, Hello, my anger. You are my old friend. I know you are there. I will take good care of you. Recognizing and embracing your anger will help bring relief. 
practicing mindfulness of compassion like this directed toward yourself and toward the person you believe to be the cause of your anger allows compassion and understanding to arise and your suffering and anger can begin to melt away. So that is from Thich Nhat Hanh from his book, How to Focus. So practicing a new habit under the right conditions can change hundreds of millions and possibly billions of the connections between the nerve cells in our neural pathways. The human brain is made up of an estimated 100 billion neurons, making a total of 100 trillion, ner- 100 trillion connections. My friends, that is a lot of neural power right at our fingertips, right at our fingertips. And so let's look at a demonstration of how neuroplasticity from brain science research When you engage in practices that increase feelings of happiness, you increase activity in your brain's left prefrontal cortex. As you continue to feel happy, you strengthen this activity and solidify brain pathways that make it easier to replicate feelings of happiness. People who are optimistic have more more activity in their left prefrontal cortex than people who are pessimistic. Neuroplasticity has opened doors of hope for transforming mental health issues such as depression, anxiety, for changing unhealthy habits, and also for increasing the potential to experience lasting happiness. So Brain plasticity appears to be the physiological basis for the possibility of transforming our minds. By mobilizing our thoughts and practicing new ways of thinking, we can then reshape our nerve cells and change the way our brains work. So with this, with neuroplasticity, it's about how then to use your mind to change your brain. So how to use your mental body to change your brain. Mental activity strengthens the neural pathways in our brain, in your brain associated with what you focus on with your thoughts and feelings. So mental activity strengthens the neural pathways in your brain associated with what you focus on with your thoughts and feelings. That's right, my friends. It comes back to what story are you telling yourself and what are the feelings associated. To oversimplify this, but nonetheless clearly state what's happening, if you focus on happiness with your thoughts and feelings, you strengthen happiness pathways. If you focus on stress with your thoughts and feelings, you strengthen stress pathways. Every thought you think and feeling you feel can potentially strengthen the circuitry in your brain known as your neural pathways. That being said, though, every thought with the feeling is not really connected to a vibrational frequency because we have so many thoughts. So just to let you know that, it's really the thoughts that are um, like the ruminating thoughts that really get hooked that then connect to the emotion and it is connected then to the vibrational frequency. That being said, though, 
neural pathways are the basis of your habits of thinking, feeling, and acting in terms of your human experience. And it's really it's really beneficial to discern in terms of the human experience and then also in the connection with your your essence of your soul light because when you clear the dense energy from the human experience allowing that higher vibrational light to come in in terms of the embodiment you just have a different experience in terms of your in terms of your flow but it's really important to understand how the human is operating so then it can support you in terms of the inspiring wise action to take Okay, so neural pathways are the basis of your habits of thinking, feeling, and acting. They are what you believe in the human experience to be true and why you do what you do in the human experience, which is why But when you work with mindfulness and awareness and self-realization, you can catch yourself, which is catching the human, which then allows you to rework and clear non-beneficial patterns or programs to allow yourself um, to call in new ways of being for your highest good. So Donald Hebb's landmark discovery in 1949 of neurons that fire together, wire together, really best explains the process of forming, strengthening, and solidifying neural pathways. So we experience these pathways as our patterns in important areas of our life, such as relationships, food, money, career, health, and happiness levels. Okay, so let's just talk about brain pathways. Brain pathways. Hiking trails are similar to your brain pathways. Just as a grassy path becomes flattened, matted, and worn away every time a hiker walks over over it, As you focus on something with your thoughts, feelings, and behaviors, you strengthen your brain pathways. Over the days, months, and years, a well-traveled hiking trail may become a well-worn pathway. Compare this to a trail that is not well-traveled or perhaps a faint trail made by small animals. These trails might, might be noticeable to the naked eye. However, their visibility pales in comparison to the trails that get the higher foot traffic. This is really amazing news for making desired change changes. Because as long as you know how to develop and strengthen neural pathways, you can change just about anything you want. This is also why the habits you have had for so many years may be the most challenging to change. They have carved the most well-grooved, They've, they've carved the most well-worn groove, grooves or deepest trails in your brain. Thus, the pathway related to getting dressed in the morning at 50 years old is much deeper and worn than the pathway you had at like six years old. Okay, so let's talk about creating new habits. What's great is As you practice traveling down new pathways, you naturally can release from old pathways. That being said, when you use energy healing, it's a lot faster to release from the old pathways. And I have done it again and again, and it's just really great to use tools to support that 
more that efficient way. But it's important, though, to understand the process because then you can mitigate it through mitigate through that in a faster experience. Okay, so as you think similar thoughts and feel similar feelings, you either create new habits and beliefs or solidify old ones. Eventually, through repetition and feeling intensity, your new habits run on autopilot. That's right. Have you ever felt like you're in Groundhog's Day? Probably maybe because you're in a habit that's on autopilot. But that doesn't mean that you can't clear that Groundhog's Day, that autopilot. You know, for example, if you consciously focus on exercising four times or five times a week by reviewing your goals daily, talking to others for support, visualizing your success, getting to bed early, and meeting with a trainer weekly, you rewire your new habit of exercise. However, if you don't consciously direct your mind's attention on your exercise goal, you will find your strongest existing patterns of sleeping in will run on autopilot. Existing and often undesired automatic habits drive your brain, body, and behavior. That is what drives your human. Your human, that's why you have to clear the non-beneficial programming. Yet over time and under the most beneficial conditions, you can release, let go, change old habits, and allow yourself to cultivate new beneficial habits that will then bring in and allow you to be in that energy of happiness and joy. Okay, so you may be wondering if my brain is changed as easily as an overheating plastic container in the microwave, why is it so hard to stick to a goal, new diet, fitness program, or to stop a habit of self-sabotage? Well, my friends, many, most people live on autopilot much of the time. I mean been there, done that myself. And there's still aspects of my own life that I'm like, Oh, I'm on, I'm in groundhog's day on that. Oh yeah. I'm on autopilot. I mean, that's the beauty of the human experience. So this is because our neural pathways operate under the law of least effort or the path of least resistance. The most Worn path is the strongest and easiest to travel. It's like traveling down a superhighway or it's like an Olympic mogul ski run. It allows you to conserve mental energy and respond quickly to your life experiences. This type of automatic conditioning can be seen in the body memory of professional athletes as well as top piano players and many more. It can also be seen, it also can be seen the last time you drove home from work yet didn't recall the entire trip. The simple truth of the matter is that most people are not aware that they are recycling yesterday's old news, yesterday's old stories. 
it has been said that by the time we are 35 years old, up to 90% of what we think, feel, and do is recycled from our past. Yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna say that again. It has been said that by the time we are 35 years old, up to 90% of what we think, feel, and do is recycled from our past. Holy moly, my friends. Oh my God. <laughs> eh, my goodness. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> um, so, you know, it can, that can sound like, whoa. Um, and it, it, it's just, it's true, my friends. We are, in our human experience, we can possibly be creatures of habit and at such tend to take the path of least resistance whenever possible. We can develop beliefs and habits of behavior pertaining to our relationships, money, career, health, driving, dressing, fitness, our bodies. We then look to confirm and validate these beliefs in our everyday experiences. Habits are helpful in the case of driving a car, mastering a work skill, learning a computer program, cooking. However, they can be highly limiting when applied to our relationships, bodies, or our joy levels, our happiness levels. This is one of the reasons why so many people set the same goals each year about getting fit, eating healthy. Yet know, my friends, that change is absolutely possible. It is totally possible. Yet in order to stop recycling the old stories, the old news, the old habits of eating or exercising, you really need to understand how to rewire your brain, how to retrain your brain. So as you look at forming new neural pathways, you're going to confront your existing beliefs that keep your current neural pathways in place. And if we look at creating new neural pathways for feeling happier as an example or more joyful or more peaceful as an example, you will likely be examining beliefs that are keeping you stressed and unhappy. Beliefs play a central role in maintaining your patterns of stress or happiness. So let's talk about beliefs. What are beliefs? Beliefs are often regarded in your mind as the truth or fact of a situation. In reality, they are thoughts you have been thinking and emotions you have been feeling over and over and over and over. They are strong opinions at best. They aren't necessarily like right or wrong, good or bad. They're based on experiences from your past that has been validated repeatedly over the years by similar new experiences. For example, if you grew up with parents who maybe did not show you a lot of physical affection 
or or you may ha- and you may have developed then the belief that displaying affection in public is not how proper couples should act. And as you get older and begin to date, you may notice feeling uncomfortable when your significant other tries to put their arm around you, hold your hand, or even kiss you in public. You may not even be sure why you feel so uncomfortable, yet in your mind, you believe it's wrong and improper to be affectionate in public. This, my friends, this is a belief, and this belief may cause a lot of tension in your relationships. So, interestingly though, Beliefs are typically not even based on facts of the experiences, yet rather interpretations of the facts. In any given situation, there are the facts and then there are your interpretations. Generally, these two factors could be very different. This is why, you know, if you have a family and there's, I don't know, 10 children growing up in the same family, they can have 10 different interpretations of their childhood experiences. Have you, if you, if you have, um, you know, siblings or um, even having, you know, if you're able to have conversations with your parents, asking them what their experiences were of their childhood, of an experience that you might see one way, don't tell them, ask them like, hey, do you remember this time? give very few details and ask them what they remember of that experience. I mean, I have done this with my family and, um, you know, one of my siblings and I, we have similar memories, whereas sometimes one of our other siblings doesn't remember like portions that my other sibling and I remember. So it's really interesting to see who remembers what and then the interpretation of it. So, you know, and what can happen is then most often we could live out our interpretations as if they were the facts. And that is where we get into some challenges, my friends. That's where we can really create some tension in our lives, not only for ourselves, but also in our relationships and our experiences. So let's go back to the example of, you know, if your parents didn't show a lot of physical affection. So there's a multiple of reasons why your, the parents may, might not have shown affection. These reasons typically have more to do with the health of their connection and communication than with any idea, with any ideal of like morality or right or wrong behavior regarding public displays of affection. And it also could be too, you know, I mean, I grew up in a, in a household that was Catholic and we, I went to Catholic school for 12 years and in my going to school for 12 years, I had a lot of, um, a lot of my teachers were nuns or priests sometimes, and they definitely had a lot of opinions about, um, right or wrong behavior and specifically around showing affection. And as 
you may imagine some of them had a very rigid, um, like that's not okay ever kind of um, <laughs> a belief system that could make you feel in fear that it's morally not okay to even hold somebody's hand in public. You know, you may, you know, oh my goodness, am I going to get punished? And by that, in the, in the, in growing up Catholic, it was, am I going to get punished from God? Which seemed even scarier potentially at the time. Although I had a, I was very connected at a young age in terms of, um, just in terms of some of the remembrance information. And so that information never felt, it just never felt true. And so my inner truth bell would go off saying that's not quite right in terms of, you know, what they're parlaying, which goes back to, which goes to the next part of this is about really examining the interpretations of the beliefs. And as a young child, I would be in this like school experience, first grade, second grade, third grade, fourth grade, and I would hear what they were teaching and in my body I would feel in my stomach like oh my truth bell would go off and, and I would feel like oh that's not quite right that information that doesn't feel true and it and until I really understood it it was a little bit confusing so the thing is though if you don't question or examine the interpretations that form this belief, then you will likely stay stuck in the belief as if it were the truth or facts about how to act when in a relationship. And then consequently, you may never experience the magic of a romantic walk on the beach holding your partner's hand. So, you don't really have to look far into what I'm talking about. You just don't have to look far into differing political, religious, or moral beliefs to see how or why our interpretations get us in to some kind of challenges, if you will. Interestingly, though, once a belief is in place, you can also spend the rest of your life defending it. And this is because of the biological bias that prioritizes self-preservation, which translates into being right. Let's say you want to experience greater happiness, greater joy, greater peace. In order to create new neural pathways of happiness, joy, peace, you have to believe it's right for you to be happy, that it's right for you to be in peace, that it's right for you to be in joy, that it's right for you to be in abundance, that you deserve it. Ironically, though, although most people want to be happy, be in joy, be in peace, be abundant, be in prosperity, they can have conflicting subconscious beliefs, programming patterns regarding actually being happy, being in joy, being in peace, being abundant. So 
that's where like in terms of the energy healing work that I do specifically dousing energy healing in dousing, we can look at how many non-beneficial subconscious beliefs, patterns, programs that are blocking and then ask them to be cleared and then calling in the beneficial energies of peace, joy, harmony to be downloaded, to be connected, to allow yourself to receive them for your highest good. And then usually then either halfway or after the session, the person that I'm working with is usually like, oh, I feel so much better. I feel like I'm in joy. I'm in peace. Wow, I feel lighter. That's because those dense energies of the non-beneficial subconscious beliefs, patterns, and programs were cleared. And then the energy, the vibrational frequency of peace and joy is now there because the person has been released from low vibrational frequencies and shifted to the higher. And the higher vibrational frequencies are the energies of love, joy, peace, happiness. So stress is a path of least resistance. In line with understanding how the path of least resistance works regarding outdated beliefs, it also points to the self-sabotaging potential of stress, which is dubbed the epidemic of the 21st century. Stress is a major saboteur of healthy neural plasticity. In its true-to-form plastic nature, the brain changes into what it's most influenced by. Consequently, because of the predominance of chronic stress, the analytical brain is highly influenced by the emotional brain. And the repetition and emotional intensity of the stress response easily overrides feeble attempts at positivity. So instead, the analytical brain changes. So instead, the analytical brain changes the structure to match the stress. Okay, so Norman Doge, I'm hoping I'm saying his name right, refers to this phenomenon in terms of neuroplasticity has the power to produce more flexible but also more rigid behaviors, a phenomenon that he calls the plastic paradox. Ironically, he goes on to say, ironically, some of our most stubborn habits and disorders are products of of our plasticity. Once a particular once a particular plastic change occurs in the brain and becomes well established, it can prevent other changes from occurring. So it's by understanding both the positive and negative effects of plasticity that we can truly understand the extent of human possibilities. That is what he says. So change change that isn't supported by the nervous system isn't lasting change. I'm going to repeat that. Change that isn't supported by the nervous system isn't lasting change. So what I appreciate about, appreciate about dousing energy healing is that it can also support the nervous system in terms of clearing and then resetting, regrounding. That being said, you also have to recognize and work with your nervous system. And that's why all these tools are really important. So there was... Um, a study, according to a study on stress in America, stress continues to be a daily contender in terms of modern times with 70% of people reporting chronic stress. 70% of people reporting chronic stress. 
And then according to this study, a fear of mass shootings is the most common source of stress in 2019. This was in 2019. With healthcare coming in a close second. I'm just going to take a moment, though, to um, ask Reiki is sent out to individuals, also collective, in terms of um, what the study is saying. Because this was in 2019, and in 2022, it's it could have even, even increased. And I know that this is in the United States, um, so just wondering then, you know, what... Are there studies in other countries? And then asking that Reiki is sent also to anyone who wishes to receive it and allowing ourselves to just send out Reiki for anyone who wishes to receive it for the highest good because also recognizing that just because in America, in the United States, here in the U.S., you know, we may have different things that are stressing us compared to um, other countries and it's not one isn't less than the other it's just no matter what it's still stress energy and so recognizing to support people by asking that reiki ascent and if you wish to receive reiki always respects free will letting yourself receive reiki for the highest good to clear cleanse release reground support for the highest good so in that study about stress in the U.S. and America. It also said the other top stresses are include immigration, safety, discrimination, acts of terrorism, climate change, sexual harassment, financial worries, workplace stress, social media pressures. Also asking that Reiki sent to anyone who wish to receive it for any of those aspects for the highest good. Okay, so diffusing stress through awareness and self-regulation strategies that target nervous system regulation are really vital components of rewiring neural pathways. And that's why I really like in terms of um, dousing energy healing because I feel like it can really, I not even feel like I've seen it in myself and others, that it can really um, clear, release and support in terms of self-regulation strategies that supports then the nervous system for the highest good. So let's talk about some other strategies and some support. There are all kinds of beneficial tools out there and there's all different types of um, also just mind-body practices, which include energy healing, meditation, somatic therapy, also therapy, there's all kinds of things that can support you. And just because one thing works for me, it may not work for you. And that's completely okay. There might be something else that's better fit. And it's just about being curious and being open and being willing to find what is going to work for you for your highest good. So let's talk about some other mindfulness techniques and tools and strategies that can support you. One is really working with your emotional and your mental bodies. And meditation will really support you in cultivating 
your your more connection with your mind body that will help you and also just note noticing where you are in terms of your emotional self-regulation in energy healing we really look at emotions in terms of the vibrational frequencies they represent a frequency and it's not good bad right or wrong there's low vibrational frequencies which include like sadness fear um anxiety depression and there can be beneficial aspects for those emotions it's just when they go into a non-beneficial programming and pattern that they're keeping somebody ruminating and stuck and causing a lot of just challenges in that person's life because if the the emotions aren't emotioning out and they're getting stuck and just causing just difficulty then you can feel like you're looping, you're story looping. And in the story looping, you're just caught in that groundhog's day, if you will. So that's why just noticing and being aware of where you are in the experience can be really beneficial because then you can catch yourself and in catching yourself, you then can reset the system. So it would be then you'd want to you know, in terms of setting intentions, you're setting intentions to clear non-beneficial energies, clearing any kind of fear, anxiety, any non-beneficial aspects of that, and then cultivating just higher vibrational frequency emotions like joy, peace, harmony, groundedness, calmness, love. And so also then recognizing a thought without intense emotion and feeling has no meaning, no value, and no real power to effectively engage your neural pathways. Intensity of emotion and feeling is required to take any, to take an experience and make it solidified habit. The more emotion you engage, the more neurons you activate to form well-worn pathways. Emotions and feelings act as the glue that binds you to experiences. Emotional energy is the juice or fuel behind your thoughts that give power to your memories, goals, hopes, and dreams. So when I talk about intentions, I will often say, you know, shift from your head to your heart. In your heart space, get into the energy of gratitude that's because you want to feel genuinely and emotionally connected to your intention in your heart space. And when you're connected in that heart space and you are feeling that energy of happiness, the feelings of hope, positivity, trust, love, joy, this can expand out. And from there, you're going to be manifesting in the energy of gratitude, happiness, joy, excitement, inspiration, hope, positivity. So then your manifestation is going to be different manifesting it in the energy of love and joy as a, and also because you're really feeling that in your heart as opposed to being in energy of fear or lack or scarcity. And manifesting it from that space. Because it's not right, wrong, good or bad. It's, it, you know, the universe, the universe is going to co-create with you either way. 
The challenge is though, if you're manifesting from a low vibrational frequency and from lack or dense energies, when that manifestation comes in, it's, it's going to come in and it might be like, Oh, this isn't, doesn't feel exactly how I thought it was going to feel. Well, yeah, it, 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 and then you might feel a little like, Oh, I'm excited that it manifested, but you might feel like let down, like disappointed. And it could be where you were in your, your intention setting. You might've manifested from a low vibrational frequency. There might've been some fear that do I deserve this? And that's where you look at limited beliefs. And that's why you want to release limited beliefs and then set that intention from that cleared, aligned, grounded, higher vibrational space and connecting it from the heart and feeling it from the heart and then projecting it out from your third eye for your highest good. So basically to summarize, it would be I say higher vibrational frequencies. Someone else might say positive emotions. But in terms of positive emotions, remember, the negative emotions aren't right or wrong either. They could be giving you information. So you just want to check in to see where you are. Because a thought without intense emotion and feeling has no meaning, no value, and no real, no real power to effectively engage your neural pathways. Intensity of emotion and feeling is required to take an experience and make it a solidified habit. So you want to check in to see what's happening. Okay, so a mindfulness practice then would be do something every day that you enjoy. Do something every day that brings you joy. What brings you joy, my friends? While you are engaged in this good feeling activity, Allow yourself, feel it in your heart, feel the joy in your heart, and then let those feelings of joy expand out and focus on the feelings, then connect them to achieving your goals and dreams with effortless flow, with ease and grace and full abundance of prosperity, creativity, as well as your intentions for your highest good. So that is a mindfulness practice to do. So neural pathways, so the next part, so the next mindfulness technique and strategy would be repetition and practice, repetition and practice, repetition and practice. Neural pathways are strengthened into habits through the repetition and practice of thinking, feeling, and being an inspired action. So the mindfulness practice would be, Start your morning by shifting from your head to your heart. And when you get into your heart space, connecting into the energy of gratitude, you can say, I'm grateful for, name three things you're, you're grateful for, really feeling the gratitude in your heart, feeling the joy. And then once you feel that gratitude and joy, then passionately, out loud, declare your goals for the day. And then once you've done your goals, do the same for your intentions and adding on to manifest with ease and grace for your highest good. Decla declarations send the power of your subconscious mind on a mission to find solutions to fill, fulfill your goals for your highest good. 
And when you're setting your intentions like that, you're co-creating with the universe to support you in manifesting them for your highest good. And let the universe help you manifest them. My friends, the universe has the higher perspective. No matter how much we think we know or understand in our human experience, we're never going to have the higher perspective that the universe, that our higher selves, that our souls, that our spirit guides for highest good, highest good have. And we're n- also in our human form. There's only a certain amount of consciousness that we're able to download in certain parts. So we don't have at this point, we're not able to receive all the consciousness because in some ways it would overload our human experience. So that is why you ask for the support and you work as a team. You work as a team. You set the intentions and you allow then the universe to support you and your job is to allow yourself to draw it in for your highest good and allow the universe to bring in these opportunities for you. Okay, the next mindfulness strategy, visualization. Visualization is almost as powerful as the real thing given your brain cannot tell the difference between something real or imagined. Research shows that anytime you are thinking, you're engaging, thus conditioning neural pathways. Consequently, whether you are reminiscing about the past, thinking about the present, or anticipating the future, you are strengthening the neural networks associated with whatever you are thinking about. The most important part of using visualization to strengthen healthy habits is to engage your emotion. Emotion provides the fuel to enlist more neural power for creating powerful neural networks. So the mindfulness practice here is spend 10 to 15 minutes per day visualizing yourself, achieving your goals for your highest good with effortless flow and full abundance, creativity, whatever else you want to bring in. And then also in terms of your intentions, allow yourself to connect your intentions as well with this, that you are, you know, in joy, in abundance, And as you're visualizing, this should really be vivid, dynamic, and pleasing that it easily engages positive emotion, positive emotion, that you feel excited, that you feel inspired, that you feel good, you feel happy, you feel abundant, you feel creative. You feel just that awesome feeling of like, I'm alive, anything is possible, this is awesome. So that's what you want to do. Spend 10 to 15 minutes a day visualizing yourself achieving your goals and also connecting also into your intentions and feeling that in your heart space. Okay, so the next practice, meditation. The true masters of manifesting meditate daily. And and when I say this too, I don't mean though, I have found that some of my clients are getting caught in in the groundhog's day of meditating. That they'll say like, oh, I meditated each day this week. Yet 
they may be doing a meditation that is no longer, that might actually just be in completion for them. And so I recommend to see where you are in your relationship with meditation. There's many different meditation styles. And for me, I just see what I need in terms of a meditation. Sometimes if my vagus nerve needs help, I will do more chanting meditation. I'll go to do more kundalini yoga and meditation. Right now, I'm doing a lot more mindfulness meditation. And with that, I start with Reiki. And then I do mindfulness. And then I finish doing a full self-Reiki as well. Okay, so... The true masters of manifesting meditate daily. And when you meditate, you slow down the nonsense, you release from the ungrounded chatter of the busy mind, and you access the calming, abiding wisdom of your inner awareness. And also, you really allow yourself to be in that skill of laser focus. Meditation is the process of relaxing the body and quieting that monkey mind. In order to tap into the benefits of neuroplasticity, you have to disengage the stress response and stimulate the relaxation response. When you are stressed, your brain rigidly defers to the strongest neural pathways out of survival and the path of least resistance. Consequently, during stress, you don't have access to newly formed neural networks because they have not been tried and proven yet. Which, honestly, that is kind of genius, you know, and that was created in our human experience to actually support us. However, we're no longer in that kind of place where we need these survival mechanisms like this, which means that we can release from them. We're in a different state of evolving now, which means then we can allow our humans to evolve as well from that being released from that fight, flight, freeze, from that survival component where our ancestors really needed that, that supported them at that time. And now in some ways it's become at times like a hindrance for us. So most people live in a perpetual state of stress, believing, feelings, feeling that stress, feeling tension, feeling tense, time pressured or overwhelmed is the norm. My friends, it's simply not true. Feeling tense, time pressured or overwhelmed is not, it is not, doesn't have to be a norm. It just does not have to be a norm. This is simply not true. And it's, it's a belief it's non-beneficial programming and patterning. It could have at one point been beneficial, but if it's getting you to a point where you're so stressed and anxious that you are like not able to enjoy your life, then it's become, it's become like an obstacle to you actually being able to live and enjoy life. And it's a non-beneficial pattern and programming, which means then... This is where meditation comes in to really, you know, create patterns for your highest good to discipline the mind and the body. Because when you're giving discipline to the mind and the body, you're bringing freedom. Discipline can be really beneficial to bring in freedom. That's where beneficial discipline becomes in. 
And also with this, the prefrontal cortex is the actual mechanism in the brain that meditation activates, which helps the body shift from the stress response to the relaxation response. It has been called the clutch that releases the gas pedal and applies the brakes. Research shows that meditation increases gray matter in the prefrontal cortex. The prefrontal cortex of meditators Meditators is actually larger than the than that of non-meditators. Research at Harvard, Yale, MIT were the first to discover that meditation alters the structure and function of the brain and specifically the prefrontal cortex. So in terms of that, the data suggests that meditation practice can promote in terms of the the cortex, the cortical plasticity in adults in areas important for cognitive and emotional processing and well-being. Okay, so the practice would be, the mindfulness practice here would be, my friends, spend five to ten minutes each day sitting still while focusing on your in-breath and your out-breath. Retrieve your mind anytime it wanders onto anything but your breath. Meditation is the highest form of mental training that disciplines the mind to focus on what you want and allows the nervous system to bring about homeostasis. Okay, my friends, that is all I have for you about neural pathways. I would love to hear from you please reach out. Uh, you can find me on social media at inspiringyou.co. Feel free to go to the website. It's the same name. And let me know how you're doing. Let me know if you're practicing any of these tips and tools and anything else that you'd like to share. I love hearing manifestation stories. And let me know what's going on. Much love, light, and Reiki blessings, everyone.